0: ACCOMPLISHMENT COACHING IS PROUD TO PRESENT THE FOLLOWING FINE PROGRAMMING ACCOMPLISHMENT COACHING WHERE COACHES LEAD AND LEADERS COACH ACCOMPLISHMENTCOACHING.COM WELCOME TO THE COACHING SHOW WITH YOUR HOST MASTER CERTIFIED COACH CHRISTOPHER MCCALLUM and with that thumbs up, I want to welcome you all to the uh, Coaching Show. This is a podcast that's existed for seventeen years, once a week, bringing you people out on the cutting edge of coaching or just doing something interesting that you should know about. Today, we're trying something new. We're on the Zoom. Have you tried the Zoom, Alex? Of all the, uh,
1: of all the platforms, of all the video conference platforms, which is your favorite? I mean, it has to be Zoom. I own some of their stock, so it would be you know immoral of me, I think, to. <laughs> To fight if against only them. I had
0: purchased some of their stock. So my name is Christopher McCall Master Certified Coach, and normally we play a beautiful intro that makes me sound important. But uh, today, because we're trying this new format, uh, we're going to have to do that in post. So we're just we're just chatting here. I I was unprepared for. Uh, In my mind, this looked different. I was unprepared for the sausage party it has become. Uh, Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach, 26 or seven, depending on how you slice it, years of coaching experience. Uh, In studio, although not in the same room, but with the same artist behind him, is Alex Terranova. Alex, you're uh, an
1: ACC coach, you're in your fourth year of coaching. What else do we need to know about you? I have a podcast called The Dream Mason Podcast. I film it or record it right here in your Accomplishment Coaching Media Studio. I uh, am about to finish up my first book, which will be out in September. I'm working on my second book. I went to Disneyland two days ago, and uh, I learned a great lesson about going to Disneyland as an adult. (laughs) I don't think I'll be going back for a while, but it it still is the happiest place on Earth, apparently. That's what they say.
0: When you say you go, you went to Disneyland. I know, I believe that you do not have children that we know of, but uh, you're you're an adult who went to Disneyland without children. This is no, I went of, with children of concern. Oh,
1: you went, went with children. children. I went with uh, I went with three other adults, and one of those adults has three children.
0: All right. I'm already out of out of the mood to talk about this. But was there a lesson from Disneyland you wanted to share with all of us?
1: (sighs) Yeah, I feel bad. Um, I got to see that the thing where children want everything. And Uh I then remembered that I was once a children who wanted everything. (laughs) And I had to call and apologize to my parents. And um, Uh I also had to be on the other side of having to eat all that everything that these children wanted, even though I didn't want it.
0: I had a parenting fail that I may or may not tell you about uh, in the last week when I went uh, in our annual ballpark trip with my son. All right, so people want to know more about you, they can go to thedreammason.com. Is that true? They can. Mason.com. Let's bring on our guest. Normally, we have a moment to chat, but I can see now how annoying that can be to a guest, and I apologize for the impact. Uh, Joel Roberts is an extraordinary man, and I have had the privilege of watching him work, and it is nothing short of phenomenal, and we're delighted to have him join us, I believe, for the first time on this here show. Uh, She's a P. She. she, I'm doing well. I'm going to learn to speak English next week. Joel is a former primetime talk show host on KABC LA, which is the number, which number was it, Joel?
2: Well, LA is the radio capital of the world. Uh, KABC is one of the top stations in LA and LA, New York is the overall media capital of the world, but because New Yorkers commute on the subways and Angelinos commute on the freeways, number two overall is number one in radio.
0: Very clear, and let's not use the phrases number two and number one again on this show. Uh, Joel has coached hundreds of extraordinary people, and I've been privileged to watch him work. And when we're talking about people you know, like uh, T. Harvecker, Stephen Covey, and Jack Canfield, he's uh, worked with lots of top name corporations, as well as uh, he's, the work that I've seen you do, Joel, I don't know how to describe. You can take people and sit with them for literally a few minutes and make a huge and lasting impact on their ability to not only communicate their ideas and who they are in the world, but also give them a punch. And you can do it with with respect, but at the same time, pulling no punches yourself. It's extraordinary work. And if you haven't seen him, you need to find out more. Go to Joel Roberts, that's dot com, to find out more about Joel. Joel, we've got you for the full hour today. Thank you so much for taking the time.
2: My pleasure. Uh,
0: now, Joel, in your palatial mansion, where where do you ever go outside? What city are you in currently?
2: Well, at the moment, we live in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we moved here slightly under four years ago. We thought it was one of the world's unlikeliest places for us to live, to be candid, but we came out here on a visit, and um, both my wife and I had been living in LA for quite a number of years before we knew each other and then after we knew each other. LA had been extraordinarily good to both of us, but it was getting ridiculously crowded. And when we came here on a visit to Nashville, we saw this house and we walked in and did the single most impulsive thing we've ever done in our lives. We bought it.
0: Well, after getting married to each other. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Um, All right, great. Yes, right. That was a well-decision, actually.
0: Nice. Now, uh, you worked with your wife before you uh, got married. Is this true? You had a little
2: well. We, we It's funny. On our first date, we took a vow that we would never work together. Oh, nice. Yeah, and it's the only vow we've ever broke. How did that turn
0: out? <laughs> <laughs> she's now the C. We should point out she's now the C. O. O. of your organization, which is a little bit like working together. I got to point out.
2: Yes, she absolutely. My wife is a former producer. Her name is Heidi. She's a former producer of movies and miniseries for the networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, HBO, Lifetime, Showtime, etc. I come from primetime Los Angeles talk radio. The, the fact that we get along for five minutes is proof of
1: God's existence. <laughs> well, I'm glad we settled that. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> There's hope for the rest of us then, it sounds like. I, I really appreciate how you
0: how you spoke about the networks and then articulated the networks so that we would know that she's not producing movies for a lifetime. We're not talking about those networks. This is a whole different deal. All right, it's, it's both. Now, um, I I became completely enrolled in the magic and power of your work by watching you work, and um, it, it may be on. Un- Uh, unfair, but one of the things that I want to communicate to people is how extraordinary it is. And we could talk about things like, I'm always snoopy. Are you, are you, uh, Alex, are you a snooping guy when you go to people's houses? Do you like look at their bookshelves and their
1: music? Oh yeah. Look at their bookshelves. I think I, want. I walk down the street, if windows are open, I look inside. I'm like curious what's going on in houses all over the, all over the world. Which is why you can't live in New York City. But, uh,
0: Joel, uh, give us a couple of, of high points from your bookshelf right behind you right there. Because I'm a Snoopy guy. I'm a
2: Churchill freak. Really? Yeah. Um, I'm a cycling freak. Uh, On my wall there, and I can't turn the – I'm a writer. On my wall there, and I can't turn the computer around are portraits of my six favorite authors that I stare at every day. I can tell you who they are if you want. I'm ready. John Fowles, who wrote The French Lieutenant's Woman. Frederick Forsyth, the thriller writer, who is a great spinner of yarns. Lawrence Durrell, who wrote The Alexandria Quartet. Henry Miller, who was a stupendous writer, quite apart from his erotic stuff. Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who wrote 100 Years of Solitude. And Chaim Potok, who was the great American Jewish writer who wrote uh, The Chosen, The Promise, My Name is Asher Lev. I had the privilege of knowing him, so these are my six favorite authors of all time, and their portraits were on my wall.
0: Mr. Potok, also an answer to the New York Times in the New York Times crossword yesterday, just wanna point that out.
2: Well, I'm not sure how he'd feel about that, but he's not here for us to ask, but I I miss him. I was very, very privileged to know him, and, if I if I ever live up to his blessing, I'll be satisfied.
0: What a what a beautiful tribute! All right, thank you for that. And uh, if if people if is there a book that you recommend to like of his? when you're working with people? Oh, uh, anyone? Is there a book that you say everybody should read? This book, this, this is where you start. This is the secret to life.
2: No.
1: How about you, Alex? You know, I think. Um probably conversations with God, um, is, is up there for me, but I actually just read Seth Godin's Lynchpin and it like, it, I think it's unbelievable. I've been telling everybody they need to read it. I think it's up there as one of the top five I've ever read.
2: Christopher, I want to, I want to clarify one thing if I may, please. Um, I had the impression you were asking me if there was a book about my domain of work that I recommended to people, and there isn't one. I I've been approached by publishers to write one, and I'm flattered by that.
0: I'm sure you have been, and it would I would read it immediately.
2: Well, thank you. Now that said, if we're beyond my domain, look, I had the privilege of coaching Stephen Covey. I love his work. I've heard of that guy. Yeah, I've had the privilege of coaching. Jack Canfield, I love his work. I was the official media coach for the Chicken Soup of the Soul series for seven years. I think those are fun. I think that um, in terms of learning to do, to be effective communicators, anything and everything that someone can read, whether it's novels, you know, whether it's screenplays, anything in the way of storytelling would help. And here's kind of an ironic thing. Sometimes people say to me, after, for example, the, the performance that I did in Baltimore where you and I met, I think it was Baltimore, people came up and said, how can I learn to do what you do? And without being flippant at all, I said, listen to Mozart. And what I meant by that is to really be an effective communicator, you need like a composer's sense of structure of introducing themes, of varying those themes, of modulating into different kind of moods and feelings in the peaks. So I've learned a ton about writing from listening to Bach, from listening to Beethoven, from, from listening to Mozart, and obviously, the fact that I was on the air in Los Angeles for five and a half thousand hours is probably what taught me more than anything. Although, I have taught by now I've been on stage in front of nearly a million people all around the world and it is the people that I have interacted with that have really taught me the most. I've learned more from my students than than anyone and it's been it's been just an extraordinary privilege and as you saw I love meeting each and every new individual human being and deciphering what the unique code is in them that is going to give them a singular signature that is going to help them stand out in this loud, crowded world. And I got to tell you something. I'm never bored. I mean, when you saw me on stage in Baltimore, when they said, two hours are up, time to say goodbye. I'm like, oh, man, what a bummer. You know, I'm out of here. I just find people fascinating and I find their stories fascinating. And being interested like that, I think, is kind of an essential in life.
0: Well, it's, you're an extraordinary uh, multifaceted person. We got the privilege of watching you play Noodle on the piano and sing a little bit. And you're extraordinarily talented in so many ways. One um, of the things that I was hopeful about, and this may not be a fair question, so you feel free to say no, but one of the things I was hopeful about was that you would do some work with either Alex or me so that people... People can get a taste of what you do it's one thing to talk about what you do but it's another thing to see that magical stuff happen so alex what what happened in in baltimore we went to the conversation among masters conference you know in between orioles games and uh we we saw joel literally meet people you know just invite them up on the stage meet them immediately and work with them for a very short period of time and have them hone their message and impact alexander Kaye on this program has said, has, uh, from Corentis has said that leadership is a public act. And I believe that each of us needs to be, each of us who's a coach or a leader, we need to be ready for that day that the sun shines on us, the day that, you know, the Oprah show or somebody contacts you and says, hey, we need, your, we need you on the air, or the day that you meet, you know, the famous uh, whomever, uh, you know, uh, the day that Jake Tapper or somebody is in your uh, <laughs> uh, uh, elevator. So the idea is that you need to be ready. And I've seen the work that Joel can do. Joel, would you be willing to bestow your gifts on either Alex or me, your choice? Both. <laughs> Not at the same time, due to businesses. Uh, all right. Uh, shall we start with the young uh, Terranova and see w- what shape you leave him in before you? Yeah.
1: So Alex, what do you do? Uh, I'm a performance coach. I have a podcast and I'm a writer. Okay. And I'm terrified right now because I have no idea what you're about to do with me, <laughs> but I'm ready. I'm so well, ready. we're not in the same room.
2: So I think you're relatively safe. Plus you look like you're a lot bigger than I am. <laughs> so you're a performance coach and you're a writer. Okay. Tell me a little more.
1: Uh, my I'm, I coined and created the term Dream Mason about four or five years ago, which is uh, the foundation of my whole brand and everything that I do, which is based around the idea that every person inside, every person has a dream inside of them, but they have to be courageous enough to declare they have a dream and then committed enough to go build it.
0: Okay.
2: And um, tell me just one or two more sentences.
1: Um, I uh, let's see. I love working with. Um, I love whether it be in my in my podcast or in my practice. I love working with uh, former athletes and creatives, people that have already achieved some level of success somewhere in their lives, and maybe are trying to figure out how do they parlay that into the next big thing.
2: Okay. All right. So let's begin by understanding one of the challenges that coaches face. So with your permission, Alex, I just want to be completely candid. Let's be open with each other and let's mold the clay into something beautiful. Okay. Sounds good. You're a performance coach. Have you ever heard that before? Yes. You're a writer. Have you ever heard that before? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> you think people need to be courageous in this life. Have you ever heard that before? Yes. You think that people need to be committed. Have you ever heard that
1: before? Absolutely.
2: Okay. So I'm going to get to some other things first, but we have probably 60% of what you just said, which is generic. It could be said pretty much about any coach that they are a performance coach. Well, we're not talking about how to perform a violin concerto in Carnegie Hall, we're talking about how to perform at your peak and achieve your full potential, which are also cliches in this industry. So, a performance coach, a writer, we don't yet know what you've written, you didn't tell us any specifics about that. People need the courage to change and grow, we've heard that before. People need commitment, we've heard that before. So, we don't know anything about you that couldn't be said about almost anyone else. So, right now, what we are bathed in, and I just want to say this as gently and supportively and lovingly as I can. What we are bathed in, bathed in is cliches, jargon, abstraction. Now, here's the good news. By the time I'm done with you, which won't take long, it won't be a cliche, it won't be jargon, and it won't be abstract. But the first thing I need to do is point out that the epidemic in the coaching profession, and I really appreciate your courage in in working with me on this, the epidemic in the coaching profession is cliches, is jargon, is abstraction, is everybody pretty much sounds like everybody else. And this is the problem. It's a big problem. Now, what do we do about that problem? We find the view, excuse me, we find the you in you that is completely unique and distinct from other people. Now, you work with athletes and you work with creative
1: people, okay? Are you an athlete? I was an athlete or I am an athlete, sure. What sport? Uh, I played baseball and now I the gym, yoga.
2: Okay. So, let me ask you a question. If if you were to take the entire body of coaches out there, the people who work at a very very high level with athletes, I'm talking about like Steve Kerr, who coaches the Golden State Warriors. OK, I'm from the Bay Area, so I'm a little bit partial to them. If you but even if, if someone does not have quite so formal a position like that, if you were to talk with coaches out there who kind of specialize in athletes and then talk with people out there who kind of specialize in so-called creative people. Would it be typical for people to do some athletes and some creative people, or would that actually be kind of rare?
1: I don't know that I understand. What do you mean some? Uh,
2: Okay. Amongst coaches, would it be typical for people to work with athletes on the one hand and creative people on the other, or would most coaches probably specialize in either athletes or creative people?
1: Yeah, they'd probably specialize. Or, well, most coaches currently probably don't, but they probably would want to specialize.
2: Okay. Put it this way. Do you think Steve Kerr, the coach of the Warriors, also works with actors, writers, producers, and directors?
1: No, no okay. just just politics and sports.
2: Right. Okay. And the politics in sports. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which, if you're in the NBA, that's part of the challenge. Okay? So what I'm pointing out here is it's a little bit atypical. It's a little bit rare that you actually work with two different categories that don't always mesh. Is that true? Yes. Okay. That is interesting to me. I wanna put a pin in that and note it. We're going to come back to that. But you call yourself a dream mason. What's a mason? A builder.
1: What kind of a builder? Um, I don't know that I know the, the correct answer to this, but I think a builder with stone or brick.
2: Right. So is it easy working with stones and brick?
1: Um, I have ne- n- never have, but I would assume no. I would assume it's it's hard physical labor.
2: It's hard physical labor, isn't it? Is it is it easy to sculpt a stone?
1: Uh, no, that's a talent. That's a gift.
2: It's a talent. It's a gift. You're totally right. Is it easy to be a master bricklayer?
1: Probably not.
2: Probably not. And in fact, I've seen some examples of people who got that wrong, and they're memorable <laughs> examples. Okay. So you are when you talk about your own work as a dream mason you need to pay off your own metaphor, the one that you're using. Masonry involves stone. Stone is not the easiest material to work with. You need something even harder than stone in order to mold and sculpt stone called metal, right? Yes. Stone is kind of resilient. Bricks are kind of resilient. Get them right, they'll form a structure that will endure. Get them wrong, it will collapse. So I want you to come out and say, I am a dream mason. We pretty much know what dreams mean. Why am I a dream mason? Because I'm here to acknowledge that life ain't always easy, just like chipping stone to achieve a particular form isn't always easy. Ask Michelangelo. I'm here as a mason to show you that your brick house that you're living in actually took an extraordinary degree of skill to make. Masonry is not easy. Human change is not always easy. You need skilled hands. I bring those hands. Now we are just beginning to bring you into relief. I, I use this in the artistic sense. you got Vibrant art behind you, and so does Christopher. Between the two of you, I feel like I've gone back to the 60s and we're all wearing tie dyed shirts. Okay? But now I am using your own terminology to say hey, masonry necessarily involves hard materials, and sometimes you need harder materials in order to mold and scope those materials. It's that way in the physical world, it may be that way in the emotional world in the career world. It's not easy to bring about change in human life. We're all kind of entrenched in patterns. That stone really likes being a stone and has a lot of experience staying the way it is. So do people. Now we get you. We begin to get Dream Mason. Dreams sound airy-fairy. There is nothing airy-fairy about stone or brick. It's as concrete as it gets, boom, we have liftoff. You could say, dream sound airy, oh, I have a dream. I dream one day I'll find the perfect maid. I dream one day about writing a novel. I dream one day about a career. Hey, I'm here as a mason. When we talk about concretizing your dreams, I mean it literally. Bingo. Then we get further into why you. Why you? Well, you're a former baseball player. Were you a high level baseball player?
1: Not high enough.
2: Okay. It's all right. But we might want to use the metaphor of, what position did you play? I was a pitcher. You were, ah. You were a pitcher. Okay? So. Are pitchers like really, really important members?
1: (laughs) Yes, they're very important.
2: Right. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Okay. So do you want your clients to hit the ball? Yes. Okay. Does that mean you're necessarily going to lob them an easy pitch?
1: (laughs) Absolutely not. Great.
2: Beautiful. I'm a pitcher okay i'd love to lob you an easy pitch guess what don't hold your breath <laughs> <laughs> i may love you some easy pitches at first but the ball's gonna come in faster and faster as we work and it's gonna curve and it's gonna break and it's gonna do things in the air that you didn't think a physical object could do and in the process of learning to deal with that unpredictability just like Papi Ortiz, you are going to learn how to adapt in the moment, like a good hitter. We now have taken the metaphor of masonry and made dreams into something that you are working concretely with. We now have taken the metaphor of being a pitcher and made you show up not as some generic coach who's into performance, and I'm a speaker and a writer and a trainer and a coach. I'm a speaker and a writer and a trainer and a coach. We have an 11-year-old daughter who can do a really good version of that. She'll come in and she, I'm a speaker and a writer and a trainer and a coach. Okay, now we have Alex. Alex works with seemingly intractable material, but he's got the strengths and the resources to mold it. Alex knows how to throw a ball that may be easy for you to hit at first, great, but then we're all gonna grow together to the point that you are standing at the home plate in your life and your attitude is, bring it on. Bring it on. Hit me with a slider, hit me with a breaking ball, Hit me with a 102 mile an hour fastball. Hit me with your best curve. Hit me with your best shot. The ability to adapt like a great hitter to the environment is now going to be part of what you share with people. What you and I just did, Alex, took, I don't know, five, six, seven minutes. And now we have a vocabulary that concretizes you. Now we have a vocabulary that brings you out, as they would say in the art world, in stark relief. If you've ever gone to a museum and you've stood across from a Van Gogh, if you stand too close to a Van Gogh, it, it's like a kid did it. it. It's like your eyes can't quite process it. It's like, whoa, this, what's so special about this? If you stand too far away, you may or, you probably won't get it. If you get to exactly the right distance, it vibrates. It pulsates. It sings. It's like, whoa, this thing is radiating energy. I invite you to use the terminology of your own life, your own title, your own words, and to fully pay them off so that you show up as unique in this loud, crowded world called coaches. And this is only half. The other half, of course, is you've got to serve the people out there. And one of the most important things all of us need to ask is, what are the problems that they have? For you, for the three of us, and all people who do coaching or consulting, and I really don't think of myself as a coach, but that's another issue. But one of the most important questions we will ever ask ourselves is, what is the problem that we are the answer to? It's actually three questions. A, what's the problem or the answer to? B, who has that problem? C, what's the cost of not doing what we say? I think that identifying the problem is the most critical thing that any entrepreneur can do coach or otherwise, and I'll even go on to make what's going to sound like a ridiculously simplistic statement, but I'm going to make it, which is in the entire universe, if you read all the philosophical literature behind me, and this is, I'm happy to say, a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of our library, our libraries in the other end of the house, But if you read all the philosophical literature and all the great academic treatises and all of the spiritual books and all that, you come to a kind of a fundamental truth with regard to problems. There are two kinds of problems in the world. Problems you have and problems you don't. It sounds simplistic, it's actually really useful. You and I and everybody listening and watching Every entrepreneur, every coach, every business person, there are two kinds of problems in the world. Problems you have and problems you don't. And our job is to either address the the problems that people have or to get them to have the problems that we address. (laughs) Which means we are in the problem distribution business. (laughs) All of us. Steve Jobs knew that. I I was here when Steve, I I was there rather, when Steve Jobs introduced this, this thing that I'm holding up, called an iPhone. I attended the Macworld convention like six or seven years in a row, there you go. And then Apple stopped doing it, and then of course some years after that, very tragically, Steve passed away. I was there when he introduced the iPod. I was there when he introduced the iPad, I was there when he introduced the iPhone. Prior to the iPod, we had these great inventions that rendered music portable. Your own music. You know, radio kind of like portable music. You could run around with headphones that had a radio on them. But to carry around your own playlist, there was a phenomenal invention some years back that really allowed people to do that and you both probably know what it was. It was MP3s. The Walkman
1: actually oh. before that. Walkman. Well, was explain
0: great. the Walkman to you at some point, Alex. I, I,
1: I had a Walkman. I mean, I made mixtapes. Oh, nice. Okay.
2: It's really tough dealing with people of your age, Alex, because <laughs> you have you you lack certain critical cultural references.
1: If we were talking about eight tracks, I've seen those. My dad had them, but in, I made. I was. I was born in eighty two. I, I grew up with with cassettes and boom boxes that people carried. <laughs> yeah, five, right. Baby. Okay,
2: so great. Boom boxes are a little unwieldy. I mean, a lot of those were bigger than I am. Actually, Walkmen were a great invention. Initially, cassettes, and then they went to CDs. You could put. 10 CDs and a Walkman, average 12 songs each. That's 120 songs. So you're jogging around Central Park, you got 120 songs, it'll last you unless you're really a marathon runner. It's great. Steve Jobs gets up in front of the audience at MacWorld. I was there. And he said, you know, and everybody thought that Walkman were just like the coolest things on earth. And then he says, I don't get it about those big effing ugly boxes you're carrying around on your hip they are really unwieldy they get in the way and we all thought god we really didn't have a problem with them previously he said man and and how much music do they have on them and we're all like hey 120 songs dude that's really good and he's like 120 i need to add a couple zeros and we're all sitting in the audience going "Excuse me." couple zeros, 1,200, 12,000, 12,000 songs. And then he says, yeah, and while I'm at it, the damn thing has no pictures. And we're like, what do pictures have to do with a walkman? You go home, you look at your pictures, you walk around Central Park with your walkman, you hear your music. He says, I want a a device that has 12,000 songs, and while we're at it, 10,000 pictures. And everybody's looking at everybody else going, he's really lost it. Boom, iPod, thongs, pictures, a fraction of the size of the Walkman.
0: So, Joel, I want to make sure that we keep track of the, of the point. So there are problems we have, problems we don't, and we're in the problem distribution business. I take it that this is an example of, here's, here's a solution that we didn't know we had the problem.
2: This is Steve Jobs saying your solution, which is the Walkman, has a big effing problem. It's too damn big. It doesn't have enough songs and it doesn't have any pictures and its day is done. And when we all exited the hall in Moscone Center in San Francisco that day, we spontaneously formed 12 steps people who had to say groups for people who had to say goodbye to their Walkman. It was over because he
0: problemized it. And it's interesting to note, perhaps this is not to your point, but I think it is, that the Microsoft Zoom, which theoretically, at least at the time, had maybe more capabilities, was never, was a complete non-starter. You know, there are collector's items in some sort of museum now. But even, even the problem solution matrix didn't work there because Steve Jobs had created some, in some way in our imagination, in our mind, that this simplicity was more useful, more friendly, and more uh, to our needs than a similar product from another company. Does that that further your point or am I off?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. He was a storyteller and all of us need to be. All of us need to tell stories. All of us need to bring the differentiating factors. And you know, the funny thing about Steve, I've got this principle in the seminars that we do, which I call elevate the target as high as you can before you shoot it down. (laughs) And in the beginning, Steve made the Walkman sound really cool. And then he shot the living you know what out of it, and it was dead. I mean, Sony knew at the end of that back we're finished with the Walkman, it's over.
0: It's just extraordinary and, and such a great point for coaches. I want to go back to the problems you have and problems you don't. Um, one of the things i've taken from this already that's applicable I think to coaches everywhere is we do do that abstract, generic jargony thing that you pointed to in your work with Alex, and I thought that was brilliant. Alex, uh, tell the truth what what are you taking from this you know few minutes of, of
1: extremely powerful work with Joel. Um, well, first of all, I'm, I'm really grateful and it's um, the timing couldn't be more perfect. I'm actually having a conversation with my coach about rebranding my podcast and looking at it. Same thing with my work on my website. And, um, and I'm reading Seth Godin's, this is marketing, which says many similar touches on many similar points. So it's, it's, um, it just feels like an a- this was the asteroid that kind of collided with my universe um but you know Joel just the you're talking about me and you're sharing power and vibrancy and and radiance and just it's like it's like I want to take what you have and 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 do and reenact it myself um what i'm taking is that it would make a massive difference bringing that all the things that we just talked about into my podcast my writing my um uh, my social media presence, My when I meet people at networking, actually bringing that in would actually have people be a lot more excited, would have me be a lot more excited, in turn having them be a lot more excited.
2: Wonderful, thank you. It's an honor and I wanna point out something to both of you. When you have your own language, it's got two massive benefits. Number one, it's organic to you. Okay, you chose the word Mason, the term Dream Mason for a reason. It resonated with you. Now I'm just getting you to resonate with it. (laughs) You're a baseball player. And by the way, just so everybody knows, Alex and I met on this podcast. I don't know the first thing about Alex. Okay, I don't know. I I don't I don't know much about you even now. I just know how to take the little I know and make it play. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is baseball. You know, I gotta tell you something. Life throws curveballs at us, fastballs at us, breaking pitches at us. We think we're ready to go. You know, we're standing there at the plate. We've gotten the dirt off of our cleats. We've tapped it with the bat. We're ready to go. And boom, the ball hits the catcher's bit. And we think, geez, what happened here? <laughs> You see what I just did? I just took a metaphor that speaks to people. But here's the thing. This is natural for you. It's organic for you. And therefore, it will occur as fresh to them. They may not even be baseball aficionados. I happen to love baseball, you know. But they don't have to be. They just have to see it resonate for you. And they'll know enough so that they get it. They all know what it's like to have life, throw them a curveball. We've heard that expression, or a fastball, or a breaking pitch, or God knows what. And so suddenly, suddenly, you're, you're clearer, and, they, and you are fresh to them. And they haven't heard it before. It's exciting.
0: It's really great, and and I love the example because people get a chance to see what it's like to work with you, Joel, and it's just uh, just magic. Uh, How do people work with you? What can can people do besides invite you on their podcast to get this magic in their lives?
2: Yeah, well, these days, largely inspired by the uh, thing that I did in Baltimore for CAM that you were at, Christopher, and I had the privilege, everybody, of sitting next to this guy at lunch, who said to me with total subtlety, call me. <laughs> <laughs> so that was great. And I'm, I'm grateful. So we are now doing a couple of things. We, we have come to the conclusion that coaches have unique challenges and we're doing special programs for them. Uh, the most elite thing we do is in person here in Nashville, Tennessee, where we live and it's four days. It's really intense. It's two days. I mean, we're, we do these in tiny groups by definition, because you can see I'm very hands-on. I mean, I'm talking six people at a time. That's it. Okay. So for two days, we're going to do the world's most rigorous, muscular message development program. And that we do in a beautiful hotel suite, I'm there, and my wife, Heidi, who's phenomenal, is there. One other member of our staff is there. And I bring people like you, Christopher, like you, Alex, up in front of the room, and I ask them questions, and I dialogue with them somewhat in the way that I would have on KABC Radio, where I come from. And I begin to extract the YOU of their unique selling proposition. I begin to extract what I call the divine deposits in them. This is why I live, to go digging for things like that. That's, that's my art form. So for two days, we rotate through six people. Everybody is up several times, and it's great because they all learn from each other. And then on day three, we move five minutes down the road to a video studio, and we make videos. It, it is our belief that in today's world, for better or for worse. And again, we started this broadcast with me sharing who my favorite writers are. But unfortunately, I don't know what kind of traction they could get today if they couldn't do media. I mean, I'm not even saying this is good. I'm just saying it's true. Yeah. So on our website, for example, we've got a sizzle reel of me in the home page, and others have interviews. We know for a fact that when clients go onto the website and they see video and they see text, they click on the video first. They watch the video, and then if they like it, they read in that order. So we do two days of the world's most rigorous message development. And then on day three, we actually film a two-person interview with people where I am the interviewer. At, At that point, I know your key messages as well as you do, and I prompt you into your strengths. And then on day four, we do a solo interview where you are alone in front of the camera. Both Heidi and I are behind the camera. And in the final edited product, we are edited out. So it's just you. And it'll take us half an hour to shoot that. It's edited down to two and a half minutes. That's quick. And we just have found that in this day and age, clients need videos in order to share their work, their passions, their skill set their unique selling proposition with people. So the most elite thing we do is that four day program. Now, we also are going to be doing here in Nashville a two-day messaging only program where we don't make videos for people. To be candid, it's 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 a little bit of money to do the video course because video production is expensive. We got to pay for the studio, the videographers, the editors, the hair and make up the whole bit.
0: Some people I'm sorry to interrupt, what's the cost of these, uh, the four day versus the two day?
2: The normal cost of the four day is 10 grand. When I was at CAM working with uh, your group, I promised Donna Steinhorn, we'd give them a thousand dollars off at her request, which I did and I'm extending the same thing to your people too. So it's not- That's wonderful, thank you. So it'll be nine grand that includes one edited video, one of the two videos we will edit. Clear. And that two day, if you come for messaging only the two days, like 3,500 bucks, okay? You save Clear. money, but you don't get a video.
0: Clear. Are there yeah. other ways to work with you? Can people get a, a, a coaching relationship with you or is this it? Yeah. These are the options.
2: Yeah, uh, I do some private coaching. I love working in groups, to be honest. I love group chemistry. I, I love synergy. I love watching. I love watching people learn from each other. I especially love it when they learn from the one person that they thought they would never learn anything from, and they really wish was not in the group. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alex knows something about this. All right. Uh, and are there so are these are these our only choices for working with you, or are there other options? Are they what? The only choices for working with you, or are there other options? Four day, two
2: day, or privately. You know, let me just say how to contact us. Just email us info at joelroberts.com. J-O-E-L-R-O-B-E-R-T-S, info at joelroberts.com. And Heidi and I pride ourselves on, we actually will pick up the phone and call people.
0: It's extraordinary. I keep waiting to hear from your people, but so far it's the two of you. And I know you've got people there. You just don't put them on the phones, which is amazing. The, um, the, Other thing that I want to point to is that the website alone is valuable and extraordinary. Go to joelroberts.com and find out more. Our uh, time is, is winding down, and I want to make sure that coaches take something away beyond their being extraordinarily impressed with you. If you could wave your magic wand and change one thing about how coaches present themselves or talk about the work that they do in the world, what would you have us change, stop or start doing?
2: That's a good question. Bring your essence. I'll tell you, Alex, if the work that I've done with you puts you in touch with a more aligned source of power within yourself, and if that affects the way you speak about your work, and if that in turn helps you get more clients and thrive, and if that's because I have ushered you closer to your own essence then I can't think of a greater honor for me. Bring who? When all else fails, try being who you actually are. I'm, I'm a short Jewish intense guy, okay? I flunked mellow every time I took it. <laughs> I, but I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I want pre people to every single human being I've met has some unique constellation of god given gifts and the weird thing is they're walking around not I'm going to I'm going to make a a verb not synapted with those the, the synapses are not connected. And it's like, I listen to them, and then and then I learn a little bit about them, and I think, God, you're such a fascinating person. Why aren't you incorporating all of you? Where are you? Alex, you know what it's like to bring your A game. You do too, Christopher. We all do. And... There's a great, I'll leave you with this if we have to wrap up, I don't know. Okay, I'll leave you with
0: this. Our time has flown by, it's true.
2: There's a great story at the end of the Old Testament where Moses is brought to the edge of a cliff to look out over the promised land where he will not be allowed to go. And God says to him, this is the land that I promised to your forefathers and you will not go there. And it's very heartbreaking. And then Moses dies, and and the children of Israel mourn him for 30 days. And then it says that the power is transferred to Joshua, and that the people listen to Joshua. But there's a fascinating thing about Moses, which is his grave is unmarked. He's the greatest leader in the history of his people. He's the liberator. He's the lawgiver. He's the greatest leader of all. And all it says is that he's buried somewhere in an area of the desert. I've been in the area, but we don't know where his grave is. It's just sand and wind. Why? Why? Why would God, if there is a God, not honor the greatest leader of his people with? A marked grave, a shrine, a temple, a mausoleum, uh, something to, to, to make a pilgrimage to. No, you get sand and wind. Thank you. That sucks. It double sucks. First of all, we have to presume that Moses will be compensated in another dimension. But there is a deeper reason why God didn't mark the grave. And this is my message to all of you coaches. God didn't mark the grave because the children of Israel at that point were still in a very, very challenging circumstance. And they needed to follow the new leader. And if God had marked the grave, they would have focused on Moses, even though he was dead. In effect, God was saying, you know, Moses was great and Moses is gone. You need to move on. And if I marked that grave, you'd all be making pilgrimages to that grave and you'd be stuck in the past. So I'm not going to mark it. But the deepest message, and this is the one that I have for the coaches, is it was God saying to Joshua, it's your turn now. Now, step up. Because it's your turn now. And that's that's how I would like all of your viewers and listeners. To think of themselves, and if I can give them a sense of that, believe me, there's a lot of darkness in the world these days. I think it will introduce some light.
0: Beautiful. We couldn't think of a better uh, note for us to end on. You can find out more about Joel and the incredible work that he does by going to Joel Roberts, J O E L R O B E R T S dot com. You can find out more about Alex by going to thedreammason.com. And I think that Alex may have found out more about Alex today.
1: Yeah, my um, website pro- might be under construction.
2: <laughs> we're, all, we're all under construction. Let me, just, let me just mention again if people want to email us, which is the best way to contact us, info at joelroberts.com. And we absolutely promise to respond.
0: Great. A couple of, uh, a couple of end notes here. The first is, um, I I love that piece about being your essence and really connecting to the truth of who you are. And that's something that we can all always improve on. And I want to invite people to reach out to you. And and it's really the source of coaching. And coaching is never better than when we, as coaches, are doing our own work. I also want to um, point to a couple of upcoming things. This year, 2019, which is when we're recording this on July 31st, is also the year that the International Coach Federation conference, the actual international conference, the Converge conference will be held in Prague in October. Uh, I want to say it's the 23rd, 24th and 25th of October. But also we've got uh, sort of late in the season, we've got the Capital Coaches Conference for cap- coaches in uh, Washington, D.C. and uh, Greater Maryland area. It'll be titled Coaching in the Real World. It'll be at the Bethesda North Marriott on September 13th.
1: Alex, anything you want to uh, leave people with today? I need to do some work. I'm under construction. Um, okay. This is so great. You know, I, I love that I didn't expect this today. I think that's the best blessing is that I walked into this. And uh, it was just a great to be with you, Joel. And uh, yeah, it was just a gift. Thank you. My pleasure. Joel,
0: you are an extraordinary gift to any profession. Thank you so much. and dear coaches and those listening please get ready so that the day that, that the media calls you you're ready with your message and with your being in intact and in integrity all right i appreciate both of you gentlemen that's another edition of the coaching show each week bringing you somebody out on the cutting edge some brilliance as uh, this week with joel robert thank you very much and we'll talk to you next week